0: So, what uh, what does Dolly Parton throw in a swimming pool? The
1: lifeboat.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Chlorine. Chlorine. Chlorine.
1: (laughs) Matt is clearly not good at this game.
0: Welcome to Women of Steel on the Matt Brown Show. This Women's Month, we chat to dynamic women smashing gender norms and shaping the current and future world
1: of
2: business and entrepreneurship. Join us for an extraordinary series celebrating empowered women from all walks of life.
0: Get inspired this Women's Month with Women of Steel on the Matt Brown Show. (laughs)
2: Power to the woman.
0: Yeah. Don't tell us how to be empowered. Yeah.
2: Hey guys, welcome to the final part of our Women of Steel series here on The Matt Brown Show. In this episode, prepare to dive into this incredible episode as I'm joined by former Olympic and Paralympic South African swimmer and multiple gold medalist, Natalie Dutoy. Today, we are going to make a big splash. Talking about what it takes to be a high performance athlete and overcoming the obstacles and pretty insane pressure set against you in order to write your name amongst the stars. And you know, they say that you can achieve anything if you have the right support. But no matter who says you can do it, if you don't believe you can, you'll never make it. And so the truth is that it's about dedication. And dedication isn't about being the best every day. It's about trying to be your best, even when feeling your worst. So tune into this inspiring and powerful episode and listen closely to our Don't Laugh segment where Chris drops some jokes that are a little bit too dry for the pool. <laughs> so without further ado, let's get on with the show. And we're live. Hey guys, welcome to the final installment, if you can believe that, of Woman of Steel. And last but not least is an incredible athlete, the Olympian, Paralympian, is that how you say it? Yep. well,
1: yeah, former Paralympian and Olympian. Basically,
2: she's awesome. Her name is Natalie Detoy. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thanks, Matthew.
1: Thanks for having me on the show.
2: Yeah, welcome, welcome, welcome. It's uh, not every day that you have uh, a former Olympian on a podcast, especially in South Africa.
1: You know, I think... uh, People forget that we're just humans and, you know, that we've also grown up and we've also come from different backgrounds. And at the end of the day, we also have other goals and other dreams as well. You know, yeah. um, sport, unfortunately, or fortunately as well, um, fortunately, because it's it's created who I am and made me who I am. Um, and I think unfortunately, because everyone only sees you as that and you nice. actually want to grow and, and be something different and be yeah. something bigger in a different industry. Um, but yeah, you know, I think it's, it's something that's truly special and a lot of hard work, a lot of, uh, you know, sacrifices have gone into the journey and, mm. you know, it's great to be able to look back and think, you know what, I've done it and I can move on.
2: So let's go back to before you were an Olympian, um, Olympian, Paralympian. I'm going to try and get that right by the end of the show. <laughs> uh, but, um, but where did this journey start? Like uh, obviously the label, as you say, it's kind of stuck with you now, and we'll get into you know what we what we can potentially do about that um, as brands, personal brands. Uh, but uh, but take us back to like you know the pool and uh, the dream of competing, and where did it all start?
1: So, you know, it's it's not a story of I want to go to the Olympics and I train and I go to the Olympics. Um, I grew up in quite a poor household and my brother was actually the swimmer. Um, so he had a kind of a scholarship at schools and he also trained with a coach who coached for free. Um, and at the end of the day, I used to be that little girl that sat on the side of the pool and used to have to watch him swim every Training session three times a week at that stage. So we were young, and um, I'm just the type of person that I don't like sitting still, and I've always been like that. So, sitting on the side, one day I said to my mom, I can swim, and I think she chuckled a bit because, you know, growing up, I was petrified of water, and suddenly one day I just decided I'm going to swim. And she went up to the coach, and the coach said, Okay, well, Let's see what Natalie can do. And I got into the swimming pool, and my first first stroke I could swim was butterfly. Um, I always say I don't know if it was above the water or below the water. Um, but ultimately, it was, Yeah, I think, you know, people talk about love at first sight. It was love at first feeling, um, getting into the water. And I just loved it. I love being able, the, the feeling of water of my body, the feeling of being able to go up and down. Um, and I trained with my brother's uh, club or squad as well. And he's three years older than me, so you can imagine he didn't like it at all. But because my parents couldn't go up and down, um, I trained with him. And I think I just grew from strength to strength. And, you know, the more I achieved, the more I wanted to train, the harder I trained, the more I achieved, the more I wanted to achieve, etc. But, you know, the Olympic story, I think, only really began when I got a lot older. Um, You know, a lot of people say to you, but you're going to be the next champion and you're going to be the next world record holder, an Olympian. But you have to believe it yourself. You have to also be on a path that's quite close um, and know that you will be able to achieve it.
2: Mm. So were people taking you seriously at the time? And, and, and just from a story perspective, what was the year roughly that you did the, started the swimming thing? Mama, Mama can swim. When was that?
1: <laughs> so this is going back. I was six. It would probably be around nineteen ninety. Okay. So.
2: So 1990, you say, mom, hey, man, I can swim. And so was it kind of like, okay, just let her swim because I can't deal with the, you know, was it kind of like, you know, sympathetically, let's let her swim or, you know, were they taking you seriously at the time? Were you taking yourself seriously at the time? Or were you just enjoying the feeling of swimming?
1: You know, I think you get all different types of parents. Um, I think my parents were the type that they just wanted to give me opportunities. And um, I think as I grew up, Um, you know, we were we weren't given free reign, but at the same time we were allowed to like I did music at school, I played Nepal. Um we were extremely busy. Um and at the end of the day it was anything that we could possibly do, um we tried to do. Mm -hmm. And and I think they were you know, they were the driving force behind that, but not pushy parents. So, you know, later on in my career um, I used to have to wake my mom up and say, can you please take me to training? You know, it wasn't the other way around. So yeah. from that side, I think it was my mom would sit there because she wanted me to have an opportunity and wanted my brother to have the opportunity to be able to swim. And, you know, if we wanted to go further, we could go further. Or They couldn't always afford everything um, and they'd be honest about that. But at the same time, they always tried. Um, And I think growing up with that, those are also lessons that I learned um, growing up and as a child, because it wasn't just the honesty, but it was, let's see if we can make a plan. Um, It was never straight off, no, you can't. So, you know, growing up, it it wasn't the yes and the no, it was, but if you do this and if you do that, this is the consequence, that's the consequence, and let's see how we go from there.
2: So was your brother any good at swimming?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think my brother's probably a lot. Brighter than what I am in academics, as well as a lot more talented. Um, he dropped out of swimming, I think, a few years after we both started. And, you know, he swam for province um, growing up in Cape Town. Um, I swam for province and I think I must have been about 12 or he must have been about 12, uh, 13, 14 when he uh, ret- well, stopped swimming. Uh, then he went on to play water polo. You say water polo, ri- club, rugby, all sorts of other things. Um, so, yes, very talented. Um, but I think at the end of the day, you know, it also had to grab him. And it's, you know, at the end of the day, you you have to be able to swim. You have to enjoy it. You have to love it. You have to be able to get in a pool and know that you're going to be there for two hours. Um, and I always remember him saying to my, my second coach, um, you know, when I got older, I went to a senior coach and he always used to say to him, I don't need to do that. I'm not a distance swimmer. So I only need to do so many kilometers that he would get out the pool. Oh, my I should say, You're never coming back to training. But obviously he would come back again and, you know, do only a little bit again. Um so yeah, I think it's it's up to what you want to achieve and how you want to achieve it. Um swimming is a is a tough sport. Um it is not a lonely sport, I think like a lot of people say. Um, you know, you have a squad and there's my squad is amazing. If I missed a training session, I always felt like I was so behind everybody. So it was the the fear factor. Yep. And I had to be there and I had to do the same amount of work. And when we were there, we always pushed each other. So we always wanted to be better than than the next person. If it wasn't your stroke, you would try to beat the person who is the breaststroker, etc. So, you know, growing up, I think that was the the mentality and the the thought process through everything. Um from the age of six I started swimming galas and competitions. And when I was 12, I qualified for my first international team to travel to the UK, mm. um, Crystal Palace. And with that, my parents actually said they didn't have the funds. So one of the girls in my team's dad offered to pay for half the ticket. And my parents said, okay, we'll come up with the other half. And for pocket money, in the olden days, back in 1996, I walked down the main road in Cape Town for a week. And I managed to raise 1,000 rand. And in really? those days, it was about 6 rand to the pound. Woo, yes. yeah, so in those days, um, you know, you could do quite a bit with it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yes, gold medal.
2: Gold medal for you, Natalie. You can actually have this one. It was given to me. Um, I know it's not as heavy as the real thing. Oh, well, am I
1: might take it. You oh, take thank it. you. <laughs> you can wear it for
2: the rest of the show if you'd like. But or, it's my or favorite. you can just eat it. It's my favorite chocolate. It is, so. it is very yummy. And it is gold. No, that's the best it? we could do here you know, on the Mavron show. Thanks,
1: so
2: So, um, but that's great. I mean, so when did things like, you said that, you know, knowing what you want is really important and you've got to be prepared to make the sacrifice, you know, the two hours in the pool and blah, blah, blah. On top of it, by the way, you know, homework, social commitments, all this kind of stuff. And so that's hard, man. When you're like a teenager, you don't really know what you're about. You don't really know what you want. So I suppose... Some I'm not saying in all cases, but in the large majority, especially for myself, I didn't know what I wanted. So when did you realize, I mean, you went to Crystal Palace, I assume you kicked ass and took names there, right?
1: Well, yes. So I, I did very well. And coming back um, with a couple of gold medals in the Victorix Adorum, I think everybody tags you to be the next champion and, mm. you know, world record holder. Um, Is that what they actually sh- said? World yes, record holder? Yes, Seriously. You know, it's it's you young and they say it's possible. Um and you know at that stage for me it was just swimming um i at at age 12 i was still training five one-hour sessions a week um if you had to take youngsters nowadays uh they're probably training three hours a day so there's a very you know there's a big difference between in our days and nowadays (laughs) um and i think you know we were still able to achieve a lot in hours that we did put in and I think I was just fortunate that I had a junior coach and she instilled the love. It wasn't always about winning, but it was about the love for the sport and the lessons that you learn throughout the sport. And it's about learning about your body as well. You know, everyone always says to me, but how do you swim? I want you to teach me to swim. And I always say to them, there's there's a fundamental lesson in swimming, and that is in the water, the same principles as an airplane flies – is used for you swimming in water so hey. what do i mean by that it means that when an airplane flies it is of, of a shape that creates an air bubble and in swimming you create an air bubble around you so the smoother you are through the water the better so the more streamlined um and water isn't about just pulling your arm through it as fast as you can it's literally about picking up that bubble um, so when you, you look at pictures and you see a whole lot of bubbles around your arm, it means that you're pulling air, mm. that you're not pulling water. And obviously to move in water, you need to push as much water back as possible so that it propels you forwards. Um, and you know, I think growing up, I was fortunate that I felt what my body was doing. I felt what my arms were doing, um, you know, what my legs were doing. Obviously, you have to have a coach and the junior coach was great because she kept reminding us, you know, don't drop your elbow. Your elbow must be the highest point of your stroke in the whole part of your stroke. Um, and why? So that you can push as much water as possible. Uh, so, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's those things, I think, that growing up and being part of the coach, um, you know, the coach instilling those lessons within me. Guaranteed, I did music as a subject um piano i sang in the choir i played in the orchestra on I played top of netball, everything else on right on top of it you know i played netball i was goal shooter i did athletics i was one of those athletes that you know when you have inter into house athletics and they're like right natalie you doing this and you doing this I first name on the list basically absolutely for all the kids that wouldn't no pressure i was there but i enjoyed <laughs> it you know and again you know i was also an athlete that We would train, and moving on to my senior coach when I was 14 years old, uh, we would train an hour in the mornings and then two hours in the evenings. And in the mornings, the coach would have to go to stretching classes, and he would leave after like 45 minutes, and I would finish the set, and everybody would be out the pool. And my brother would be complaining because I'm making him late for school, but nevertheless, I had to finish the set, you know, so – it was, I think, part of that, that that also instilled a lot in me in terms of life lessons and in terms of, of going forward with life. So, yeah, you know, it was, it was a lot of hard work. I believed that I had to put in a lot of time, a lot of effort. And I neglected the friends and I neglected the studies. And when I retired, I think I, I really did regret a little bit of it because I, I started from zero again. I started building up friends, studies, everything. Um, so currently studying, trying to work, trying to do some good within the sport as well. Um, and, you know, doing motivational speaking and doing a bit of charity work. So it's a, a busy schedule. I'm traveling quite a bit, which is something that I enjoy. Um, but, yeah, you know, I think going back and going back to the 12-year-old when everybody said I'd be this Olympic champion, it wasn't about believing. It was, you know what, I'm doing it because I love it. And only at 14, when I sat next to my coach before going up for a race at, at national championships, and he handed me a piece of paper and he said, this is the Commonwealth Games trials and this is the qualifying time. You can do it. Which and was? Can you remember? Yes, it was 98. It was in KL. Um, and I was, I was literally 14. in KL? Kuala Lumpur.
2: Okay. So you're and 14 years old. And what was the time? So it was Do you remember, uh, to qualify. Uh, for uh, the, the to qualify, volleyball.
1: so it was the 400 meter individual medley, and I had just actually moved to him about three months prior to that, and I was swimming at five minutes twenty, and the qualification time was four minutes fifty five.
2: Stay with us. We'll be right back. So you and went that far, or I don't know, how, how far is that actually to go from like
1: thirty seconds, so that's uh, that's like one length freestyle.
2: So that's quite a way, hey? It's
1: quite a it's quite a distance. And the coach believed in me, you know, and you know, I chuckled <laughs> and I spoke a lot in the call-up room because I talk when I get nervous. And you know, generally everybody just moves onto the other side of the call-up room. But lining up for the race <laughs> No, absolutely. You know, they go and sit on the other side and, you know, keep quiet with their earphones on and yeah. um, I'm a little bit more social. Um, but you you get to know that in the call up room and sometimes it's how they try and psych you out, um, because they know that you like to talk so they do the opposite so you feel oh, you know, what's wrong and So this is with other competitors in. in the
2: room, right? Yes. And so 100%. you're about to do the qualifying race is yes. that kind of yes. the right so you context? have to go
1: in into a room and there's an official that ticks your name off and puts you in lanes and you have to line up and then that your line walks out to music and then they call your names etc mm. um yeah i climbed up on the block and you know the last words that my coach said to me was the girl next to you is going to go and try and qualify for the commonwealth games stay close to her and try and beat her and you know coming home in the home stretch of the last 50 meters i remember doing a tumble turn and both of us looked at each other and uh, it we like had like and, Like underwater, and absolutely <laughs> look. I don't think the swearing, but <laughs> but it was that definitely, definitely would be me, <laughs> I'd be like the
2: worst dude underwater. But yeah.
1: it, it was definitely like the you know, the race home. It was you know, interestingly enough, a few years later, I actually started training with this girl, and uh, she was, I think, 12 years older than me, and um. <laughs> I said to her, do you remember that race back in 1998 when, we, when I was 14 and you were a little older? And she said, yes, you know, that last 50 meters, it was when we did that tumble turn. We had this whole conversation as to who was going to win and who was going to, you know, hit it home, etc. So coming in the last 50 meters and we were, I mean, we were neck and neck. And coming to the last five meters, coach always drilled into our heads that you don't breathe, hit the wall, uh, looked up and I'd won by a couple of split seconds. So I'd qualified as well. And so, but you know, much? in those days... I feel
2: like clapping sure. even though it was like... So <laughs> I think things. it was
1: only like uh, four split seconds.
2: But is that how much you qualified No, by? Uh, oh, that you was won how by. much I'd won by. how much, what was the... Um,
1: I, I think I qualified by like four-tenths of a, you know, like 40, really? 40 seconds if yeah. I may. So oh, wow.
2: Jeez, that's huge. Very,
1: No, well, close, close, mm. close. But, you know, you qualify. And that um, in South Africa in those days, we had to qualify eight times, um, very much like nowadays... Um, so a standard is the top eight times within the world in that in the last three years or four years um, is ratified and the top. So if you are the top eight of those times, you are then a qualification selected. standard. Thank you. and then you're selected. So South Africa only s- chose first spot. Uh, had a lot of obviously critics saying the other girl should go because she's got a lot more experience, um, and then going to KL and. Missing my race, missing the very first race. I'm so. Sorry. <laughs> exactly. Um, How
2: did that happen? What?
1: We were basically just training, well, warming up in the training pool behind the time board because half an hour before the competition's about to start, you actually have to get out the main competition pool. And so my coach was the only coach, I think there were 20 of us, and he was the only coach to us. So he was trying to take times of everybody, and he just said to me, Nata, you my my Um I'm going to take you last. And I was warming up, and he said, okay, we've done enough uh, speed work. You can get out, and you can go and get ready and go and report for your race. And, you know, in those days, we had these normal costumes, you know, the tighter and the smaller, the better. I was young enough for it. As I got older, I was very grateful that you now have those suits that take you like 20 odd minutes to put on, but they keep all the fat in. So it's great. You know, everyone's on the same playing level. And, you know, it was, I had my racing costume on. I walked around the time board and I I saw my name on the board. At first, I didn't think it was me. Um, And then the race actually started and then realized that there was a South African flag and realized it actually was me. And... In those days, we also had to apologize in person, in writing to the officials, to the starters, um, because it's seeming as though you're putting your competitors off and and it's disrespectful. So um, at the end of the day, they told me that they would only tell me in the evening if I could compete in the rest of the competition or not. Media had arrived and I didn't want to do it. So my coach said, don't worry, he'll do it. And he went off and with his Hungarian accent, he said it was due to human error, but people picked it up as woman error. What? And yeah, so the stories were interesting. And what was I doing with the boys? What was I doing in the bathroom? And what? I think, you know, it's is this
2: international media or was it? No, so, oh, so all international or media South, South African basically. all media. Yeah, that's pretty fucking disgraceful, really. <laughs> you know what I mean? How old were you at this point? I was 14. Great,
1: was, uh, especially after you've had people say that you shouldn't be going, that, that. that others should be going. Um, and I, you know, came back to South Africa. I had a decision to make if I wanted to carry on or not. And I just chose to just swim because I hadn't made up my mind yet. And I went to training and I went to training and I went to training, didn't love it, didn't get into it. And only after about a year did I start coming around and, and coming out of that. Um, mm. It was tough because, you know, I really felt like I'd put South Africa's name into disrepute. And I'd, I had, you know, really let everybody down, everybody that sponsored me, everybody that believed in me, um, and you know, yes, I didn't have a flock of sponsors, but the handful that you do have is important and you always like to try and do the best for them as possible.
2: And that's yeah, a so lot that's of pressure. Sorry, if I may add, that's a lot of pressure for a 14 year old to take. Do you know what I mean?
1: Absolutely. You know, a lot of people ask me, you know, how did you just come out of your accident? And mm. I always, I actually put it on par with, with missing my race because when you're 14 and you go through something like that, it's, it's also major loss. Um, and I think throughout my life, I've realized that whatever loss and whatever challenges you go through, it often you think the same and you feel the same. Um, you know, going through an accident a few years later, I, I had been there. I had had that feeling. Um, and I understood that I could also come through it. So it's, yes, it's challenges. And I think what helps me is that I, you know, after my accident, I have a prosthesis I put on every day. And mm-hmm. so I feel it every day. I see it every day and it reminds me every day. And I wake up every day, um, you know, proving to myself that I can do things. Mm.
2: Um,
1: And again, that's also lessons that I learned growing up as a young kid. Um, So all this
2: stuff was actually good for you. It was kind of like fuel. Or was it fuel at the time? I think
1: so. I think so. So Mm. I am the type of person that negative and negative makes positive.
2: Yeah, totally. I'm (laughs) the same. It's like telling me I can't do something.
1: Absolutely, you know, and, I mean? you know. If you ask a lot of top athletes how they've achieved, they would say to you because nobody believed they could, and they just wanted to prove them wrong.
2: Do you see that Russian and the Medvedev dude at the U.S. Open recently? Did I you have. See that? Yeah. So he got he got um, booed essentially during his match, and he was playing. I don't remember who he was playing, but it was like the semifinals, yeah. and um, and the crowd was booing him. And he was like in his post-match uh, interview on the court. He was like, the reason why I won today was because of all of you guys. And he's like egging the crowd on to boo him more because he said he uses it as fuel.
1: Yeah. So, look, I, I think sometimes it's, it can, you know, you you might have the ability to do that while you're there. But I also think, you know, for me, it's more about I, I can't and I can't and I can't until one day I just say, you know what, let me just try. <laughs> because I can't keep saying I can't. Um, so, you know, from that perspective, it's 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 been a positive. I've also had a lot of people around me that are positive. So when I'm really negative, you know, their last words will always come up when I'm at my worst. So say, for instance, you you swimming a race and you're extremely tired. In that most tired time or spot is when you remember what the last words were said to you. Mm. Um, and that's why they always say that what you do in practice, you'll do in a competition. So... Um, You know, it it just comes naturally. Um, Funny enough, before every race, my manager used to draw something on my leg. So it could be a flower, it could be a funny face, it could be absolutely anything. But it would be the last thing that I looked at before I dived. Because as you take your marks, you look at your knee. And it was always the reminder of, okay, I must put my head down the last five meters. So there were a few things that I had to remember. And, you know, seeing that the last minute was the last minute I remember. And that's what you remember when you race. So, mm. you know, those things are, I think, were special. And again, the team around me was really special because they had figured out how I work and enhanced how I work rather than let me be negative. So, yeah, I you know, it was right time, right people. Um, I also believe that growing up in training, um, my hours added up, my age added up, and, you know, time spent in the water added up to... 2008, when I competed at my base. So everything had lined up, Hmm. and I was, I was uh, what would you call it, mature enough um, to be able to compete at the the highest possible rank at the right time, at the right place.
2: So what did they say then? Did they say, hey man, cool, no worries, you can swim in the rest of the comp?
1: (laughs) Yes, so I was able to compete in the rest of the competition, and with that, um, I swam extremely badly. Um, you know, to to add a, a positive to the story, um, obviously you went through a motorbike accident, and we'll get onto that in we'll two thousand and one. On okay, well, well, I mean, we can go slowly. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but um, so, so you swam badly and whatever, but that obviously was a great learning experience. Nobody crashes it their first time, especially when they're fourteen, right?
1: I I think uh, you know, it's a lot of the way that a lot of people might think. However, it's not really like that. Really? Um, Why not? You know, in, in South Africa, I think with the the budget system um, that we have within sport, you know, a lot of people always say there's no money in sport, and we had to be number one in the in the country to be able to qualify. So we had to work really hard to be able to represent our country. And I know for me, it was always I had to be that much ahead to know that I was safe, um, to know that you know what. It's a guaranteed place. So, mm. um, you know, growing up as well, there were a few competitions I didn't go to because my parents couldn't afford it. And, you know, you learn through those curves. So when you do go out there, you give you absolutely everything mm. and you make sure that you're, you're ahead. So when something like that hits, it takes you back a million steps and, you know, you have to come forward. But you can only come forward when you're ready. So that was my choice was I hadn't made a choice or a decision if I would compete or not. And so I would swim until I'd made that choice. Um, you know, it's tough to swim for four years, to train for four years and miss out on a competition. Um, and like Commonwealth is every four years, Olympics is every four years. So it's a, it's a big decision to make if you want to carry on or not carry on. Um, obviously, I had to have my academics as well and had to pass all my years, even though I was hardly at school. Um, but it was important and, you know, it was just something, it was part of life. It was part of what I wanted to do and so we went with it.
2: But it wasn't like, you know, like Adriana Maria has always dreamt about becoming like an alien, essentially. <laughs> do you know what I mean? But for you, it was just a process of I'm enjoying this in the moment and Absolutely. wherever this road takes me, I'm going to get there.
1: Absolutely, you know, and, you know, part of that, part of having goals, which I believe are short term, missed a few of those. Dreams, which I believe are long-term. I mean, I started swimming when I was six. In 2000, which was two years after missing my race at Commonwealth Games, I missed qualifying for the Olympics by 0.03 of a second.
2: Oh, my gosh.
1: And to go through a challenge two years later is quite interesting. Um, and But you've been through the process, and you go through the process again, and you decide, you know what, I haven't made a decision yet, so let me get into the pool and swim. And you wait for the next four years, and two thousand and one I have a motorbike accident, and two thousand and four is Paralympic Games. Two thousand and eight is eventually when my Olympic dream came true, so you sure. can see the space and the period in which mm-hmm. it took um you know in two thousand and one, I restarted um different stroke, different everything um so started pretty much started again, and again, you know dreams are there, and dreams I think I proof that. Dreams can be realized. Yes, it might take a few years, but it can be realised.
2: Zero point zero three of a second.
1: Have you ever played with a stopwatch?
2: Let's do that.
1: <laughs> you can see how quick it is.
2: I'm doing this.
1: I don't know if your your timer does it on your phone.
2: It does. Stopwatch. Hold on. How do they uh, even time that?
1: Stopwatches are are I think seven or eight decimals. Jeez. So yeah. So from that hey, perspective man. it's it's quite hectic. I think on your phone you only have zero point three. You don't have zero point zero three. Yeah. It's like yeah. a
2: fraction. It's literally. Yeah. It's faster than that even. Yes. Um, so it's how obviously. Does it, how does that how does that make you feel? <laughs> sorry, like <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's like uh, I, it's it's like being so close to being able to compete. And I think in in the in the three years or four years you're training, that's what you're trying. That's the goal, right? And so when you when you put so much time and it's as you said, it's a, a lot of time in the pool. Um, and the sacrifices you have to make to reach that goal and then you just it's taken from you in theory. I know it's kinda like your fault, but it's kinda hard not to feel like it was so you know, somewhere else. It's absolutely. like a ripple in the pool that basically stopped the the time, you know what I'm saying?
1: Absolutely. You know, it could have been a breath, it could have been anything. Um,
2: so how, what what was your initial you must have been gutted, right?
1: Absolutely. Um, I always believe that you go through all the emotions and it's okay. You know, a lot of people say to me, you know, and I, again, I'll come back to my accident, but, you know, when was the day that you just turn around? Um, you don't. You know, every day is a choice. Um, you have moments where you stay at home and you cry and you don't know what to do, how to do it, when to do it. And then you get days in which you just say, you know what, today I'm getting up and I'm going. And again, very fortunate that when I was uh, 14, I started training in the mornings at Newlands, fifty meter swimming pool in Cape Town. And I have probably watched uh, six days out of seven sunrises every morning. So we were in the pool at five o'clock and got out at top of six. And so sunrises for me mean a new day and, you know, new beginnings. And, you know, if every day has to be a new beginning, then so be it. And you might come back that day and might think oh, nothing went right, you know, I'll go to bed and you wake up the next morning, and you think, oh, today's a new beginning, until the day that it changes, um, you know, and I always believe that, and, and I've already I've mentioned it, but I believe that just as my life went, I came in contact with the right people, um, I was given opportunities, I grabbed some, I lost some, um, which probably would have been better for me, but you know that was my, my journey, and it's grab opportunities. It's the people that come along the way that helped me, and I was just in the right place, the right time, um, you know, with the the right what would you call it um, training programs, the right coaches, um, and you know that was part of my journey.
2: Mm. Hey guys, so as digital citizens, we are all exposed to the good, the bad, and the ugly of social media and the internet. Being a victim of cybercrime, cyberbullying, revenge, pornography, etc. can be devastating and scary. But, you know, it's not the full story. We do, in fact, have good news here. There's a company called Save T-Net Cyber Safety, and they help victims for free by connecting you with the relevant experts such as forensic analysts, psychologists and the right people at the police and legal advisors. This is a for-purpose company, and they also share the cyber safety message at schools, corporates, and everywhere they can, but they do need your help. So get involved. If you are an expert, join their network or let your CSI funding keep this engine going by empowering SafetyNet to reach more schools and affected people as possible. If you'd like the full story, check out my interview with Rhea Net Leibovitz, the founder of Safety Net, right here on the Matt Brown Show. And for more information, visit savetnet.com. Amazing. So we're going to now come back to where you, where we are in the story. But let's, Chris, are you ready? We're going to play a game of uh, don't laugh. <laughs> Uh, Kira, do you like that sound effect? I love it. I think it's fantastic. I love it. Okay, so Chris, please explain the rules of the game. Okay, um, firstly, it's a, a privilege and an honor to actually meet you
0: in person. Um, yeah, I'm actually a big fan of swimming myself. Um, I can even remember my my first gala, um, but unfortunately, I got caught peeing in the pool. <laughs> 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 Clearly,
1: clearly, it's called
0: not, laugh. so I'm not I'm sorry, laughs. I'm not supposed to laugh. Are you
2: joking now? Are you being serious? No,
0: the teacher shouted so loud at me that I almost fell in. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> then, when I actually did get into the pool, uh, I, I was kicked out because apparently breaststroke is not what I thought it was. Anyway.
2: Okay, <laughs> rules of the game. Okay, okay rules, rules of the game.
0: Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm just going to tell three stupid jokes. You going to try and not laugh. Uh, Matt's gonna laugh. try not to yeah, laugh, I'm yeah. Gonna, I'm not gonna jinx it. Okay, you. so, so uh, I'll just
1: treat chew my chewing gum so that I don't laugh,
0: right? <laughs> so what is uh, what does Dolly Parton throw in a swimming pool? The lifeboat
1: the lifeboat.
0: <laughs> <laughs> chlorine chlorine chlorine
1: chlorine <laughs> <laughs> Matt is clearly
2: not good at this game. <laughs>
0: Okay, uh, knock knock. Who's there? Uh, little old lady.
1: Red Riding Hood. <laughs> You're not supposed to laugh either. That's the game. It goes. You gotta voices. get
0: uh, knock knock. You're supposed to say who. Who's <laughs>
1: there?
0: No, little old lady.
1: Little old lady who?
0: Dig in the yodel, little old lady
2: who. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking terrible. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay, what did the last one? What did the pirate say when he turned 80? No, I matey.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: so, I don't know if you've seen comics, right? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Thanks She's very funny. much. Uh, I think you did good. That's uh, one down on me.
2: Okay, I have
1: no idea, but you were laughing at my jokes. <laughs>
2: I lose. Yeah, you definitely <laughs> lost. Okay, well done.
1: Shame, thank you.
2: <laughs> That's hilarious. Well done.
1: Well, you laughed through oh, throughout yes. it all.
2: That's the wrong sound. We've got a new toy in the studio, so it's got all these cool built in effects and stuff. It's pretty rad. Sounds so a little creepy though. It does. It does. We're we're learning. We're learning as we go. Um yeah, so so then let's talk about the probably the event that defined kind of, you know, you and Ultimately kind of the label that you have today. Um, motorbike accident were you were you doing wheelies
1: <laughs> No, sure. I was on my way from training to school. Um, I actually got a scooter because I was completely anemic and no iron injections, tablets was working and my doctor said I had to become a cyclist or a swimmer. Now, cycling was my mode of transport to school, to training. Um, So I don't know if anybody knows Cape Town, but uh, I drove (laughs) from, um, I lived in Southfield. um, So where would you call it? Uh, Deep River area.
2: I actually lived in Deep River.
1: Sure. So we were probably neighbors growing up. You probably were. I might be a bit older than you, but um, going from Deep River, Southfield (laughs) to New Lids in the morning. Uh, Newlands all the way to Redham and Takai, Takai back to Southfield, Southfield back to Newlands, Newlands back in a day to to Southfield. So yes, and I trained three four hours that. a day and went to school and did other sports as well. So it's was extremely anemic and nothing was helping. And my dad. Uh, was part of the team that built the scientists, or built the base for the scientists to stay in, in Antarctica every year. And one year he came back and he said, Nats, I've got some extra money for you. Um, I'll get you a scooter. And so I didn't have a, a normal scooter. I had a semi automatic bike because I never ever wanted to drive automatic. Now I have to drive automatic. Seeing as though my license says glasses, prosthetic leg, automatic, I have all the restrictions possible. But um, from that perspective, I got my scooter. And I promised them that I would go nowhere by training in school and home. And I was on my way from Newlands to to Takai, the back road, when I was approaching a stop street. And at this particular stop street, uh, people usually take a shortcut through the parking area that's on the corner. It's actually a a blue veterinary clinic. And the lady took a shortcut through the parking area and just drove into me. So it was an impact accident not a speed accident and she actually crossed over me so her left hand side hit my left hand side and my leg burst um and you know lying in the road I had a witness that was sitting in a four by four and saw it all he came and was holding my leg together and was telling me all about his kayaking experiences and I've never kayaked in my life so I just kind of assumed that you know he was trying to um you know, keep me positive. And the first person, Max, since he was the lady, used to wax my legs and I used to swim with her kids as well. And so they put my bags together. Um, She called my mom and I think my mom asked her a few questions. And um, I just remember her saying that, no, she's not okay. And furthermore, my coach arrived and I said to my coach, please, if my mom sees me, um, because she had to come from Southfield and to Newlands, and there's three schools in that area, so the traffic is a little crazy. Mm. Um, and I said, her, if she does come and just let her see that my face that I'm okay, don't let her look at anything else and which she actually did. A lot of my swing friends passed me and hadn't realized it was me until obviously the story got out, um, which wasn't very long afterwards. And yeah, I think, The ambulance arrived about an hour and a half afterwards um, because of the traffic. And when they arrived and put a drip in me, um, I got into the ambulance and I believe I I said to them that if the bag had to drop on me, I would sue them. No idea where that came from. (laughs) (laughs) And then got, you know, these random things things that one says.
2: All the things you could sue them for.
1: And, you know, if you had to know anything about me, um, I probably wouldn't sue anybody in my life. But... Uh, you know, it's, <laughs> I got to hospital and I'd, I blacked out. I think I just had, you know, the morphine had started working and um, later that afternoon they x-rayed me and they found out that I was a swimmer. So they tried to save my leg and for a week they may, were going to make decisions of taking muscle up my back and burn up my hips and insert it into my leg. Um, and then I would have something like 20% usage of it. My mom offered her leg, which I'm very grateful I didn't get. But um, <laughs>
2: It's one leg too many. You know, Anybody else's leg, just no, not from you, mom.
1: Yeah, you know, we, we don't quite have, I think I got more my dad's uh, genes when it came to legs than my mom, So <laughs> it would have looked very odd. But no, you know, I think I, I mentioned it because, you know, it's important as to how others cope with the situation. And I think that was my mom's way of also coping. Um, you know they always say that you shouldn't bury your child before you pass away, and I think it's a similar thing. You know, my mom wished that would happen to her, not to me, etc. Mm-hmm. Because I had so much life, and I appreciated that as much as I, you know, I can joke about it, and she can joke about it now. Um, for many years of my life, my mom also couldn't look at my leg, um, so she's never looked at me past my waist. So, like have ever. you ever spoken to a person that never looks down? Never. Um, To this day. Um, Yeah, to this day. That's nice, man. Well, I suppose she
2: feels guilty that she, you know, I suppose, are you you a parent at all? No. No, okay. So, so you you have, like, so my wife, funny enough, was, you know, sorry to interrupt you, but it's poignant. So basically, it's like parents always want to protect their kids. Absolutely. You know, and that's their primary thing. So she'll feel guilty even till the day that she passes. You know what I mean? It's Absolutely. just, I wasn't there. Even though it's impossible for you to be there, you still blame yourself. Like yeah. that's, a, that's a mom, you know?
1: You know, I know my dad blames himself because he got me the scooter um, mm. and he shouldn't have got me the scooter. And, you know, everybody says, that scooters are dangerous. And I, I always believe it's, it's fate, you know? I think it would have happened anyway. Um, I, you know, even though it's a, a negative thing, I think a lot of positive has come from it. And, you know, with my swimming career, with my accident, it's made me who I am today. You know, I've learned a lot of lessons. I've met people that I don't think I would have ever met in my entire life. And I've, you know, I've been able to pass on lessons, which I don't think I ever would have had the opportunity to. And that's something that I'm very passionate about. So, you know, it's enabled me to fulfill dreams and and goals and wishes that I also have, um, and yes, it was you know uh, not a nice time. And my parents had to try and make these decisions. And then from the Monday, the accident happened, the 26th of February uh, 2001. And in by the Friday, I think it's the 26th of February, um, they my leg started going gangrene, so they had to amputate. Um, you know, bearing in mind that they couldn't sew anything up because my leg had actually burst. And every day they went in and removed dead tissue, etc. And you know. Thank goodness I think they didn't take muscle and bone anywhere because I'm mm. still strong in the rest of my body. Yeah. And, you know, even my leg. I broke my top half of my leg in three places as well. So I've got a metal rod down my bone. Um, and I've got three screws. And, you know, I'm happy that they're there because it's giving my bone some strength. Um, but I'm a three-knee amputee. And so that means I now have one and a half knees, which is great when you sit in airplanes. Um, <laughs> So <laughs> What? <laughs> Sorry It's, it's okay, My knees just don't fit in the airplane the Oh, States. okay, I get it So uh, Trolleys <laughs> generally ram my foot constantly um, And shame that Estes Usually has a heart attack That she's like rid, Ridden over my toes or something And I'm just like Don't worry about it It's okay
2: <laughs> uh, She totally mocked that
1: <laughs> <I'm running."
2: laughs> That's when you, <laughs> yeah, you sue Yeah, that's when you sue, yeah
1: but yeah, you know, it's, it's, there's a lot of challenges and I think I was very fortunate that my parents actually had a whole lot of disabled, um, athletes and people come and speak to me when I was in hospital and just share some of the experiences with me. And 99.9% uh, of them said that they wish like the accident hadn't happened. They were so negative. And there was just one gentleman that came in, very tall gentleman, And I didn't see any disability. And he came and he sat down. And I'm still trying to figure out, is it an arm? Is it a finger? Is it a foot? (laughs) Is it a toe? You know, what is it? And uh, he went on. He told me these stories about how he ran the San Francisco Marathon, um, etc. And I'm still waiting for this disability to come out. And eventually he took his shoe off. And he was missing half a foot. And I chuckled because it kind of looked like an elephant's foot. Um, So only disabled people can chuckle. Nobody else, please. Um, But... Uh, You know, I think I just, I was just grabbed by what he said and how he said it. And again, with my family, they never, never, ever said that I couldn't. It was always, let's see what you can do. And so, you know, got out of hospital as quickly as I could. And yeah, you know, got back into the pool before I could walk because I had to wait for all my wounds to heal. Um, you know, I have a patch where when my leg burst, they couldn't quite. There wasn't enough skin to cover, so I had to wait for the scars to heal, etc. Um, and yeah, so it was a, quite a speedy recovery. I think I, you know, started. I got back in the pool about six months afterwards, and you know, by nine months a year, I was busy walking. I was back walking again, um, and yeah, it was just quick enough that I, I hadn't missed my leg. But over time, I've realized that my brain has forgotten. I've forgotten what it was like to walk with two legs. Um, mm. So if you had asked me to run, I know my prosthetist thinks it's the funniest thing since sliced bread. Um, and he makes me run and my brain can't do it because I can't remember it. So really? my leg does a bit of this and a bit of sideways and a bit of I look like a chicken that's gone wrong. Um, but it's <laughs> it's interesting, I think, how time goes on. And you know when I got back into the pool straight away, I still felt like I had my leg and I still had the feeling of how to swim. And then as time went on, my body started to compensate and do its own thing. And I forgot what it was, what it felt like to swim with two legs. Hmm. So again, every day you wake up, you decide what you want to choose in life. And, and, you know, do you want to be positive? Do you want to be negative? And yeah.
2: So that, so you, so was it simply a case of saying, well, I choose to be positive about this event that happened to me? Was it, simply, was it as simple as that? Because, like, I can only speak for myself, but, you know, touch wood or whatever, or touch wall, grass green, and ring some bells. But basically, you know, if I lost a leg, I'd be seriously pissed off. You know what I mean? I'd be angry about the fact that I couldn't change it and that I'm, I would be, quote-unquote, a victim of this event that wasn't part of my control at the time. You understand? Um, and it's easy to become a victim, you know, when that kind of thing happened, I'm saying not necessarily losing a leg all the time, but when something really bad happens to you you know or someone that you love and it was beyond your control, it's easy to get angry um, and to choose the path of a victim, and yet from what you've said, it feels like you you naturally gravitated to well, you know hey, I've lost a leg, it's all good. You know, I'm gonna keep living the dream.
1: <laughs> I don't think it's as simple. No, um, no, it's not. But, but through, that's what through, I wanted to get to. You. Throughout my life I think I've been through enough and through so many challenges that I've also learned to switch off. Um, so I can switch off quite a lot until I'm ready to deal with it. Um, as you compartmentalize. So I can't yeah. Um it's I've I've only understood that as life went on. And as I went, my parents thought I needed to see a psychologist as well until I told them they, they need to go visit my parents because I think they need to bother what I do. <laughs> but um you know, I, I believe I do, and I didn't know I did it. Um but naturally I would I would switch off things that I couldn't control at that moment and i do things that I could control. Um so with my accident, I think I switched off the actual physical accident. And for me, in my body, in my mind, it was, what do I have to do now? Mm. Um, and yes, I lapse and I think, you know, oh, you know, I just wish I could run because then I don't have to leave three hours before, you know, the time um, to be on time. For anything um i i missed it when i competed because when i competed able-bodied the team when we were traveling in europe used to run for the train and i couldn't and they would leave me behind and i'd be standing there thinking right i should have got the name of the hotel before i let everybody left me so i generally rock up at a station and just stand until someone realizes i was gone and used to come back and fetch me um (laughs) which is interesting but you know During competition time, it's not the best way to think um, because you feel, oh, I should, if only I could. Um, So yes, there are those times, but I think it's more about events. So it's like if someone had to say to me, oh, come climbing, and I would think, "Mm, sure, now, you know, what prosthetic leg do I need? What this do I need? Um, When I cycled the momentum in the Argus, um, I did no training, um, but (laughs) – I did it for charity and for a good cause. It's the only reason why I would do something. And I had to get on a bike and I had to think, hmm, now how do I keep my leg on? (laughs) So, you know, those types of things is when you come back and you think, Oh, if only I still have my two legs and I didn't have to worry about a leg for cycling, a leg for walking, a leg for going to the beach, a leg for, you know, swimming, a leg for this, a leg for that. And then you get to the airports and you have to pay for the legs on the plane. But, um, (laughs) you know, it's an extra bag. So I think these these are all challenges that one comes up. And, Mm. you know, right now I've walked through my silicone foot cover. So um, my leg doesn't quite do its proper roots, and therefore the computer doesn't read properly, and therefore I look like I'm stumbling constantly. So yes, it's a phone call just to replace my cover, but you know it's to get there, mm. and it's to to think about it, sit down and think. You know what? I need to phone and get a foot cover. And I, I wish that you know it's added things that I have to do on a daily basis. So the reason why I explain all of this is. Every day I'm conscious about it. Every day I'm conscious of, sure, I need a cover. My knee is not working so well. I need to actually go and see my prosthetist. But hang on, he's in Cape Town. So I have to get a flight to go to Cape Town, etc. So you're always thinking about ways to better something or something not working rather than thinking about the accident and yeah. why did it have to happen to me.
2: So, what did that event teach you about? If you could cast your mind back, you know, even from today to all, from the act- to the event itself. <clears throat> Excuse me. What um what's the one thing that you know that whole experience taught you about humanity, life, human potential?
1: Sure, I think many lessons have have come from that. Me. Pick yes, one for me. Pick one. Pick one. You. Sure. I think something that it taught me was that we're stronger than what we think and that we can actually do it if we put our minds to it and Just like in swimming, if you have a dream and a goal, you can achieve it. Um, I've had a lot of arguments with psychologists with this because they say not everybody can. And that, you know, it's about the chemicals in your brain, et cetera. And it takes a certain individual to be able to do it. Um, Knowing that there are only five profiles or something like that um, in life of of people. So you're one of the five. um, I thought it would be, you know, uh, what's one out of five? 25% chance um twenty five percent of people would be able to do it. And it is a lesson that I, I try and come back to constantly whenever I'm going through challenges, through moments. Um, you know, when I left swimming, it was tough because I had no friends. Um I walked away with not a degree, not anything. It was a choice, don't get me wrong. Um and now I'm studying and doing everything, <laughs> trying to, yeah. um, because that's what I wanted to achieve. But you feel lonely. You feel like It wasn't really worth it. You feel like, um, you know, yes, I achieved my goal. um, And what now? And so going through that and you learn that, hey, you know, you're strong. You can. Um, It just teaches you that you can.
2: Yeah. I totally subscribe to that. Hence why hashtag women of steel, right? Um, And so the other thing that I've read recently, and this is like a documented thing now. And at the time, I don't think it was as, people weren't really aware of it, but it's like, when you, when you train for four years and uh, you compete at the Winter Olympics and you win, right? Most, like 80% of Olympians get depressed straight afterwards. Absolutely. Did that happen to you?
1: I, I, <laughs> I told the psychologist that I think I was depressed, but they turned me around and said, oh, no, I'm not, I must leave. But um, I think at the end of the day, one of the most important parts about that is that when you work so hard and you give up so much to achieve something, once you've achieved it, it's now what now? Mm. Who am I? That thing becomes you. And I was fortunate that I think throughout my career, I had a really good manager and we spoke about brand earlier who decided that you know Natalie's more than just a swimmer. She's also a brand and I was part of all of that. I was part of building and the brand is actually me. Um, you know, it's not anything added. It's not anything changed. It's it's me. I try and reinvent myself every now and again, but I'm a little stuck in the middle of reinventing myself right now. But, um, you know, it is, I was fortunate that I had that part of it. So I had questioning. Yes, I went through a lot of politics and with the politics came all the negative And yes, I spent probably a few months wishing that, you know, it never happened. But I always wanted to retire when I was 28. And I retired when I was 28. It's ambitious, you know. And no matter what, I was going to retire at 28. Mm -hmm. And if I had gone to the Olympics, if I had not gone to the Olympics, but I knew that I had trained my hardest. I had given, I couldn't give any more time to train And I also know that I physically couldn't give any more in competition. And when I walked away at 28, I could honestly say that. And so for me, it was not something that I had to retire straight away. I had to retire because of injury. I had to retire for anything, but I had planned that. I didn't know it was in London at that stage, but I knew that I would retire when I was 28. And so it was always on the cards and you can prepare yourself. You're not always fully prepared, um, I don't think by any means. Uh, what came after that was quite tough. Um, trying to find what it is that I could possibly be good at. Um, you know, you talk about being in high school and not everyone knowing what they what they want to go into. Now you've finished 28, what do you do? You've got to study, you've got to do all of that. I tried to study, I did a BSc um, in Human Movement Sciences and Genetics And because I was training eight hours a day, I couldn't fit in all the hours. And so I built up credits and I was physically not there for any exams. And because of that, I didn't get my final year or half year credits. And so I decided and I walked away from it. Um, And so now studying, you know, business management and having to go into something completely different because I'm no longer in that side of things. I also, you know, I'm not that active. I can't run. I can't do things like that. So there's no ways that I could have become a bio kineticist um, mm. you know, Do exercise How do I show people what exercises to do So a lot of that was something That I had to think about And again fortunate that about A year, two years after I retired I found a passion And a passion that took over the passion of swimming Which was? Social media really? So I spend just as much time on social media <sighs> And doing social media for businesses As I think I did in the pool And oh. it gives me a very similar feeling And I think that also helps with the what you would call depression because you find almost like a calling again, Mm. Um,
2: meaning a meaning.
1: Yes, you know when you leave Olympics, it's kind of like you come back and you think, now I've done it. What now? You Mm. know, I always say that qualifying for Olympics is actually the biggest achievement that you can ever do because being at the Olympics, unless you're going for gold medal, um, that's a different story. But being at the Olympics because you've qualified after twenty years um, is like Big deal. It is the mountain. Yeah. What now? You come back and you think, who am I? I was this for twenty, twenty, you know, twenty six years. How do I? How? What do I do now? Um, a lot of athletes. I know the Australians have come out quite strongly in terms of depression, and the Americans, Michael Phelps, um, they've they've specifically come out strongly with depression. I know that within the, the movements of International Olympic Committee, Commonwealth Games, Paralympics, um, they're all looking at depression after sport and actually the transition from sport into life. Mm. And for me, it was not about what I'm going to do, but it's about... Knowing who I am in order to find what I'm going to do, yeah. and if you walk away from the sport not knowing who you are apart from sport, you will never know, and you will always, I think, be down when you leave the sport.
2: It's a big question, for at any stage in your life, but I think, especially as you say, I mean, you've literally had to rebirth, Basically. you know, figure out what it is that you're about, and uh, ask ask that question in a way that it could potentially give you meaning despite the constraints that you have. You know absolutely
1: I mean? absolutely and you know for me um i don't like getting into trouble so i play it very safe and my manager just said to me natalie you need to make mistakes and um, i'm going to let you go a little because you need to make those mistakes you need to do things that you didn't do as an athlete and you know it was tough because i felt like everybody had just let me go and i was now there to fend for myself although they were the net and they've always been the net um If I had asked, yes, if I had asked, you know, um, from my parents to, you know, to manager to whoever else. um, My coach was really tough on me as well. And (laughs) I was the type of person that I didn't really need someone to be that tough on me. Um, So, you know, if anything went wrong, it was Natalie. Why did you do this? And Natalie, even though it wasn't me. And, you know, when I retired, I said to him, like, Curly, why did you, why were you so hard on me? And he said to me, because you, I needed to be, to, for you to be your best. And I said, but you actually didn't, because I put a lot of pressure on myself. Um, and I mean, sure, my parents are offended when I got home because I used to cry. And my mom would say, don't worry about it. It's okay. He didn't mean it. <laughs> mm. So I think, you know, it's, it's how you grow up. And I think what you believe. And I think take lessons from others. Um, you know, I always say mentors are not there to be seen as a whole. Mentals are to be take portions and parts from, um, and learn from the bad as well. You know, say I don't want to be like that, and I want to be like that. Um, I don't want to be like that, and I think that's also stood me in, in a lot of good stead because it's allowed me to reinvent. And you know, what do I want to do? What do I want to become? How do I look forward? Um, you know, what is it that I possibly could achieve that is a little out there, but at the same time can start.
2: Yeah, it's, um, it's a great point that you're landing there. So when that book went to number one, I was like, yeah, 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 on Amazon. And then uh, the next day I was depressed. Like I said, you depressed, quote unquote, you know. But it was, it was a thing because I was like, well, now what?
1: Absolutely. It's you like, know. When, you,
2: it's like when, you, when you sell a business, it's like you flat. You're it's glad, you know, but it's like a, you're not fulfilled. Yeah, and I bet
1: know? if you had to look at it and when you were flat and you looked at it, and you saw the title, and you saw what's the title? You're,
2: you're, in in a, you're
1: in a game, and you see that title, right? And you think this took me a year. It took me five hours a day, my family time, um, time after family. Um, I had to read it six times before you know before it went to print, um, or before it even went for, to to any other stage. And at the end of the day. The book isn't really the book. The book is the journey that you took to that book. Totally. So as much as the story of the inner game is there in your head, it's so much bigger.
2: Yeah, it's huge. It's, it's, it's there's only so much you can put into it. Absolutely. You know, also the story's changing, right? So it's like a snapshot of a window of time.
1: Absolutely, yeah. and I mean that's they say that you know humans only have a span of so many minutes. No, I'm joking, but <laughs> <I've> <laughs> so so but that's also precious because. You've shared a snapshot and there's always another snapshot that can come. And that for me is like reinventing. It's like, you know, improving yourself. When you look back at this book, you'll also think, wow, how far I've come. Because not all of us see the journey that we've taken. Totally. And we always try and want to be better and better and better. And if they can do it, I can do it. If they've got this, I want to have that. And life has become like that for youngsters. You know, youngsters are in business. But if they feel like they're not making a difference, they move. And if you just look back and you're able to do something like then again, you'll, you'll go through it and you actually see, hang on, I've actually come a long way. Um, and then it's easier to say, okay, what is the next step? So I think there's a lot of lessons that you'll learn from it as well. Mm. Um, and not just the story, but the, the process through it and all those that went through the process with you as well, um, throughout life. And you know, a lot of it is, yeah, it's, it's the journey that you took. And the lessons that you teach as well.
2: Speaking of lessons, let's do quote of the day. And as you'll see up on the <laughs> screen here, this is the world's longest quote of the day.
1: probably the most skew as well.
2: <laughs> like it's really the longest quote I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so,
2: so
0: hard work kay.
1: hard work Ta- is take not us uh, this one. hard work doesn't happen in two seconds. So it is uh, the title is called Tumble Turn. And it is obviously taken from swimming and you know, tumble turns are, are very different. You've got a tumble turn for freestyle for breaststroke and butterfly and then for backstroke. And pretty much the tumble turn is, uh, I think, uh, you know, put towards life and what we can do within our lives. And basically it says that sometimes in life you can come up or uh, come up against a wall. You can stop at the wall, but then nothing more will happen. You can try to turn at the wall um, but if you come out of that spin without purpose, you'll be disorientated and may lose your way. Or you can choose to tumble turn at the wall using the impetus provides to repel you forwards in life. And, you know, we've we've chatted quite extensively, I think, about coming through challenges. And, you know, if anything happens, it's how do you think positive? Why aren't you angry? You know, then there's the sad, there's the different emotion stages that one generally goes through at the end of the day um this quote says that doesn't matter which one you choose it's okay to turn and be ba- sad um it's okay to turn and stop as long as you turn it and you carry on with life eventually mm. so and use the impetus the war provides to propel you forward in life so Use the opportunities, use the, the ability that you are given. And ultimately, you know, wh- whichever situation you're in, just use that to propel you forward. And when you're feeling down, use other things to keep you going. Um,
2: drugs and alcohol. <laughs> so, to <tell> Joking you. <laughs> kids, don't do drugs and alcohol. The drugs are bad. But Natalie, let's, uh, let's, w- let's uh, wrap this up. Why do you do what you do? Like what gets you out of bed today?
1: I do what I do because I believe that I would like to share and impart a lot of what I've done. Um, I've been through a lot, and I don't want anyone else to go through it. I also want to be a better version of myself every day. Yes, there are days in which I don't want to be a better version of myself, which I think, oh, I'm just okay today. Um but at the end of the day, it is to wake up and to say, you know what, I'm alive. So I may as well carry on and do and, and share. And, you know, I've been hurt by lots of politics within sport. And for many years, I didn't want to be involved in sport. And six years after I retired, I was asked to serve on athletes commissions and start athletes commissions and with a team, um, not just myself. And I came back because I thought I need to... I need to give back. I need to not just become a coach, but give back the lessons and give opportunities that I was partly given and that I was given um, fully and give those to others um, so that they can
2: be better than me. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Natalie Dutoy, everybody. Thanks for being us. <laughs> This edition of the Map Show is brought to you by Networkspace.co.za. In fact, our studios are here in building number four at Networkspace up in Johannesburg. These guys have made us a huge deal, have really bent over backwards to give us the kind of service that most exciting businesses deserve. If you want more information about Networkspace, you can actually come and check out our studio. We are always open to meet new entrepreneurs and business owners from around the country, and you can do that right here at networkspace.coza. Thanks for checking out the Map Round show, guys. And if you'd like to get the Kung Fu put in your ninja, check out digitalkungfu.co.za.